Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. Today, we're going to discuss books that put us in the mood for autumn and all its splendor. Now, Anne, you wrote that (laughs) because (laughs) I am not a huge seasonal reader. So tell me a little bit about what fall reading means to you. Wait, first of all, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So the the most important day of, of fall. Of fall, exactly. Yes. Did you have a good birthday? I did. I did. It was it was kind of quiet, but yeah, it was it was sort of the start of the fall season for me. So yeah. I yeah, it's which kind of actually perfectly leads into what fall means to me because I was always someone who thought that fall was the greatest when I was growing up and I always felt kind of weird because it seemed like the consensus culturally was that summer was the best season. And I never understood that. But now fall kind of seems to be having a, a bigger moment than uh, it ever has before. And and I think that was because in my world, like my birthday started the fall season and then it was Halloween and then it was Thanksgiving and then it was Christmas. And it was just this like never ending party basically for a whole season. So I really enjoyed that. But I also, because I'm from Arizona, I never got a stereotypical fall. And so it just was this pipe dream basically to me of what I had in mind of what it could be. But then I moved to Indiana and I finally got everything that I craved and it was just as wonderful as I'd ever imagined. There were the leaves and the crispness to the air and I was working on a gorgeous university campus. And so I kind of got that back to school feeling as well. Um, Or I really got that back to school feeling, not kind of, it was the greatest back to school feeling I've ever had. So, and then Halloween was amazing too. So basically when I read, I want to capture that feeling and so I usually think of of New England a lot which was sort of the the fall dream of my childhood and I usually think of the legend of Sleepy Hollow and I think of academia so it all just kind of I don't know it's it I I think it really has to do with the fact that as a kid I never experienced that, that this this thing that seemed so important to the rest of the country so I really enjoy that a lot. That, well, so I like fall a lot too, especially living in, I lived in South Carolina, obviously for a while, and then lived, yes. now live in North Carolina, although I grew up in Ohio. Uh, so I definitely had cold weather there, but in South Carolina, North Carolina, the summers are so hot that when you first get those hints of fall, it is so welcome. In fact, just this week, really, have we been experiencing that in North Carolina? The mornings oh, wow. have been a little cool, like a little crisp. When I'm letting the dogs out, it's still like in the mid 80s during the day, but in the mornings and evenings, there's that bit of coolness in the air. So it's definitely starting to feel like fall. But it's just interesting to me because I don't know that I read based on season at all. I I read based on mood in lots of ways. So maybe the season plays into that, but it's not like I only read books that take place in summer during the summer and in the winter during the winter. So this was a little bit, uh, this was a little bit harder for me to do this, pick the books for this week because I had to really think about, well, wait, what is like a fall cozy kind of book to me? I assume that's what you mean when you, when you came up with this topic about fall reads. For as much as I talk about seasonal reading, I almost never get to do it. Mm-hmm. And so just because I always am trying to read for book clubs, um, as I've talked in the past, but 
I always want to so much. There's there's always that drive to to just wrap myself up completely. And and since I left Arizona, the and and I think all of my siblings have also left, and we all talk about how much we love seasons and how how important that is to us, and how much that was missing in our childhoods. And so, and really was a, a giant reason that all of us left Arizona. So, so I think it definitely is a kind of a bigger mental deal than it probably is for other people who have always had mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. so well no i mean you are not alone the pumpkin spice phenomenon is proof that <laughs> that people is true love the fall they i mean i don't think i've ever i think this is like the heyday of i never really thought about how much people love seasons before uh the last few years and now it just feels like when fall is coming everybody gets so into it people love halloween i think that there's just a really large contingent of people that embrace the fall. So I, I love this topic. I think it's a great one for us to talk about. But I was curious just where it came from in your mind and what, what you think of when you think of fall books or good books to read during the fall. Yeah. Should we go ahead and get started? Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we do, I'm going to apologize. The dogs are wrestling. I don't know if people are going to be able to hear that through my <laughs> microphone. And they keep running in and out of the room. So I'm very sorry in advance if people can hear that. Just going to say that. There are no complaints for me. <laughs> about I, hearing I dogs. always love a dog wrestling match. <laughs> well, they like to do it, particularly in moments where I would rather that they didn't know. Actually, I love the <laughs> fact that they I love the fact that they play. That's part of the reason we ended up adopting our little yeah. second dog because they get along so well. So, but they yeah. do like to run around the house and and wrestle. So, oh, it's so cute. It is adorable. All yeah. right. So, tell me your first book. My first book is Still Life by Louise Penny, and I picked this because it has one of the strongest feelings of fall in a book I've ever read. And I have told the story before on the podcast because I think I covered this on a different episode uh, several years ago. But I once, uh, the first time I read this, it was during my break at the library in Beaufort, and that building was absolutely freezing. And I couldn't wait to get home and cuddle in a blanket and have some candles and some tea. And I just, in my head, I was absolutely in the middle of autumn. And then I walked outside and I realized that September in South Carolina is still disgusting and humid. And that it really was completely the atmosphere of this book that was so strong that I 100% forgot where I was. And I think that's a really amazing sign of of someone who can write setting really well. And actually, I was able to meet Louise Penny last fall at a signing here in Nashville. And I told her that story and she laughed and she said it was a wonderful compliment. And so I I was just such a major fangirl. It was it was kind of embarrassing. But anyway, so this is the first book in the Beloved Three Pines series. I know I'm not the first person to recommend this by any means. Louise Penny is a New York Times bestseller and, and she's very, very, very popular. So I'm probably preaching to the choir for many people on this. But this is the book that introduces Chief Inspector Armand Gamache and he is of the Quebec police, which I I can't pronounce the actual French name for that, so I'm sorry. And the book is a cross between a cozy mystery and a police procedural. The series itself, most of the books take place in the small Quebec village of Three Pines, and that is an invention, but it is supposed to be in the region of Quebec that's called the Eastern Townships, which are just north of Vermont and New Hampshire, so it's really the peak area to experience fall kind of that destination place for fall that a lot of people love. The folklore of the book is that the town is hidden and it can only be found by people who need to find it. And it's it's not on a map, which I think is kind of this lovely 
mythology that goes along with it. So the, the mystery in still life. And I like that this is kind of a departure from the normal murder mystery where the murder victim has tons of enemies and it's just choosing between them of, of who had the best motive. But Jane is found in the woods and everyone assumes at first that it's a tragic bow hunting accident. But when Chief Inspector Gamache ev- arrives, he thinks it's strange that an arrow wound is found in her chest, but no arrow can be found on the scene. Jane was part of a close group of friends who were all eager to find out what happened to her, including a local artist named Clara, who is like a daughter to Jane. And Clara works closely with Gamache to to uncover the the killer. And this is just the most fall. I don't know. It's, it's just perfect for fall. It it feels like crisp air and leaves and apples. And then beyond the fall setting. Uh, Three Pines has that feeling of hygge that everyone is after right now because you have all these neighbors that get together for cozy evenings and there's a bistro that serves the most delicious food around a stone fireplace and there are reflective walks through the woods, which I, I just... I can't think of anything more perfect than that. So the the book has lots of red herrings. It has this this wonderful setting and it has a strong main character and lots of intriguing side characters. So if you're a mystery fan, this is definitely a must-read series and that is Still Life by Louise Penny. Yeah, so that is a series I love now and I totally agree that she writes yeah. atmosphere really really well and like the, the seasons come through because she does set her books like at a very specific time of year right that's my memory yeah yeah and she talked about during that first during the book talk I went to she said that those first four books were very specifically meant to represent the seasons mm. and so and that the others haven't been quite as formal in mm-hmm. that but but those first four were like it, it was it was definitely with that in mind mm-hmm Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I totally support this. I didn't love this book, although I love the series, and it's definitely a yeah. series you need to read in order. So I fully support this choice. But I will say that this book didn't quite, it wasn't till the second book that I really got hooked, yeah. hooked on the series. I'm really curious, too, if you were to go back and reread the first one, how you would feel about it now. I bet I would love it. I bet I would really like it. I think that part of it for me on the first one was I didn't, I didn't think the mystery was that compelling. Yeah, I would agree with that. I This is one of the few books where I've actually guessed the mystery very early on, yeah. um, which I don't think has, I don't think that's wrong of her as a as an author. I think I just read a lot of mysteries. So. Right, right. The other thing was, I think that why I would like it better now is because I know the characters really well now. And in that first right. book, I didn't, fe- I felt like she knew the characters really well, but I didn't know that she conveyed their distinct personalities in a way that like made me want to read about them. And so I think now I'm in a different place because it has built so much on itself in that series and you've gotten to know these different people. And so I do think I would be fine going back and reading it now. I would probably enjoy it quite a lot. But at the time, it felt very, I felt like the characters were a little bit two dimensional, which is really not not the main characters, but like the the residents of Three Pines, which is crazy because they are not at all. I mean, that's part of the beauty of that series is the characters. But for some reason, I don't know if it was 
just not in the right frame of mind or something when I read it, but I felt like they weren't distinctive to me. I it felt like she was trying to make them distinctive, but that they weren't. And I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, I think if I were to go back and read it now, I would absolutely love it. I don't, you know, the mystery element of it probably still wouldn't hold up that well for me, but I think I would love reading about the characters and sort of how the, she set up all the storylines because I do know from the very beginning there are storylines that don't play out until much later that right. she had been laying the groundwork for. So my right. guess is I would love it, but it's just at the time I read it, I sort of thought, okay, I don't know that the series is for me. There are so many yeah. people that love it. And I'm not always a huge mystery reader. I mean, when I read one that I like, I really enjoy it. But I don't seek out mysteries the way you do necessarily. So right. it just to me meant, okay, the series isn't for me. And then I felt like I just heard so many good things about it. I did end up going back to read the second book and absolutely loved it. And then that hooked me and I've been reading it ever since. But but yeah, I don't know why. Something about that first book it just didn't work for me. But I do totally agree that the descriptions of the season make this a wonderful read for the fall. Yeah. Okay, so my first one is The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. And this is a book I read last year actually for a part of the committee that I'm on. It was, it's a mystery. It's one of those dual timeline books, which I absolutely love. Uh, it is about a woman named Fiona Sheridan, who is a journalist. Her sister was murdered about 20 years before the setting of the book, which I actually think takes place in like early 2010s-ish, like 2014-ish maybe, which isn't that important. But the woman who was murdered, her sister, was killed near an abandoned girls' boarding school. And Fiona learns that some mysterious stranger has decided to restore the school. So she goes to write a story about this as well as investigate what happened to her sister. And then also there is a flashback storyline in 1950 about four girls who were attending the boarding school and they have this deep friendship. You know how it's like high schoolers can be so well-bonded, especially girls and especially in this kind of remote location where they're living together. And so they have this friendship, but it's there's this haunting element around the school that lends sort of a nefarious air to things that are going on. It's There's this rumor that there's a ghost named Mary Hand who haunts the boarding school. And in both timelines, it becomes evident that there are some sort of malevolent forces. And you don't, you're not always sure whether it is like a supernatural thing or if it's a human causing these issues. To me, fall, when I started, like I said, this was sort of a, a little bit of a difficult topic for me to think about. But so when I started thinking through, like, what would a fall book mean to me? I thought school was kind of the first thing that popped to mind. Uh, any Any story that takes place out of school reminds me of, you know, when you're a kid and you're getting ready for, for a new school year. And so this had the combination of being out of school, but also having this like creepy sort of element to it where you're not sure if there's a supernatural being causing some problems or if it's a human, which I thought was perfect as we approach Halloween and people I know like to read some creepier things as they as they get ready for that holiday. And then I just thought it was a really good mystery. You have the two different storylines. You have the flashback to the 1950s storyline where there, you have these four girls and one goes missing. 
which I don't know if I said that, uh, <laughs> and, and what happened to her. And then you have the more recent storyline of Fiona, who is investigating what happened to her sister 20 years before. So you have all of these elements working together. And at the end, it is a very satisfying conclusion, I would say. It does wrap up, but I wouldn't say it's a very happy ending. So it feels like it is a full story that completes, but it's not necessarily very uplifting. But I just loved it. I thought it was like it was really engaging. It kept me completely focused on it when I was reading. I wanted to do little else other than read that. And that is The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. That sounds so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty good. I had never read her before. And like I said, I read it for uh, part of this committee that I'm on. And it was it was just a fantastic surprise. I was unaware of of her. I've seen some of her books floating around, but I had never picked one up. So it was great. I think actually you would really like it. Yeah, I, I know I downloaded it as a advanced copy. Um, so I have it on my Kindle and I just, you know, I have a billion advanced copies. <laughs> yeah. So I never got to it. Uh, it. It just, I kind of forgot about it mm-hmm. too, that it, it sounded as good as it did. So yeah. she actually has another book coming out, yeah. I think in the spring. And yep. so I'm excited yep. that she seems to be picking up steam yeah. a little bit. Yeah, because I think there was quite a big gap between her previous book in this this yeah that I just talked about Uh, that sounds so good I want to read that right now (laughs) you go we'll get off the recording you can go read it (laughs) I have other things I have to read (laughs) I know so sad (laughs) such is the reader life yeah it's such a hard life it is all right what's your next one (laughs) so I kind of went with the same vein of of school plus kind of creepy so uh, my next book is The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova picked that specifically because it has false centric things it has academia it has a little tinge of horror and i also like that it's really long and it's kind of complicated and there are lots of stories within stories so it sort of feels right for when you want to hunker down for a long reading session just kind of feels cozy to me to to really pick up something that will take uh several days to read probably it starts out in amsterdam in 1972 and the narrator for the overall frame of the book is an unnamed teenage girl who finds a medieval book and a bunch of old letters in her father's study. And the letters are addressed to my dear and unfortunate successor. So the girl confronts her father, Paul, and he tells the story of what happened to him 20 years earlier. That involves the search for his graduate school advisor named Professor Rossi, who disappeared after telling Paul that the historical figure of Vlad the Impaler, who is the inspiration for Dracula, is still alive and that the Dracula legends are real. So after this conversation with his daughter, Paul disappears himself and he leaves a note for his daughter. So then the story, it gets complicated. It covers three different periods. So there's Professor Rossi in 19, in the 1930s, and then Paul in the 1950s, and then Paul's daughter in the 1970s. And so you have these various frames that sort of nest into each other, which I really love when books do that. I, I know that for some people that's not as appealing and they kind of want more flashback writing style. And I... I, just, I, I love frames in books. I think mm-hmm. they're really interesting. So the characters in these different time periods are traveling all over Europe in search of Vlad the Impaler. So they go to specifically Istanbul and, Be- and Budapest, and it will make you want to travel more than you've ever wanted to travel before. I, I don't know a book that has ever made me want to take my entire savings account and devote it to travel like this one has. Mm-hmm. So I think that 
what makes this a fall book for me is that it reads like a love letter to academia and to scholarship. The The characters are in this old university setting and there's this great love of research and they're finding clues through old documents and libraries. And that I think really appeals to anyone who wishes that their research in school were less on a computer and more pouring over old papers, which I don't know about you was a huge disappointment for me in college. But some of the criticism, actually, I've read about this this book is that so much of it takes place in old manuscripts and journals and that that is slow. But I personally really love that. So thinking about this book made me realize that I sort of am okay with a book that is slow paced if it's a topic that I enjoy, which is kind of the same thing with The Witch Elm, where it's definitely a slow pace, but I'm I'm just fine with wallowing in that if the topic interests me. So um, there are plenty of other books. I just read a book a couple of weeks ago that was super long and slow paced, and I hated it because the topic didn't interest me. So to each their own, I guess. I don't know that I would exactly qualify this as a supernatural book. I think it's kind of more an adventure book, but it still has that element of the mysterious that that touches on gothic horror that I think will really appeal to people during the fall season. So that is The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Yeah, I haven't read The Historian, but it's always I'm pretty sure I have a copy downstairs on my shelf. It's one that's always been appealing to me, but it is a big thick book, so it feels like one that you have to sink into a little bit and not read just in bits and pieces here and there. And so it's never been one that I grabbed off the shelf, but I, I think it sounds amazing. I'm really surprised you haven't read it because it was so big for a while and you're, you're so good at reading whatever is the it book of the time. Yeah. When did it come out? Do you remember? Like 2005? So I was in graduate school and that would explain it. Yeah, Yeah. I was thinking about that because I think that by the time I was working in the library, it was already a thing. And so I just missed it. You know, by the time I was, I had some free time again, I wasn't, I was trying to stay caught up with current stuff more than going back and doing backlist. Although I do read a lot of backlist in my non- reading committee life but (laughs) (laughs) yeah that one just like and like I said because it was so long it just yeah it felt like a commitment commitment yeah 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 yeah. Ooh, did we just jinx oh we may have no one can talk for the rest of the podcast (laughs) oh well goodbye (laughs) all right so my next one is a little bit of a curveball probably it's called Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. Ooh, uh, okay. So stick with me here as I talk through this, because this is the first book when we talked about what a book that felt like fall. This is the book, first book that popped into my mind as I started thinking like, what in my reading history, what just feels like fall to me? And I will say, I think it is for a few reasons, because as I looked up the description, I found that it actually takes place over an entire year, but it starts in the fall. Okay. And I read this when I was in high school, although I've read it several times since then, probably in the fall, because I remember there's a part of the story has to do with Guy Fox Day, which is November 5th. And we read it before November 5th, because I remember we did this little thing at school about Guy Fox Day. So I think it's just cemented in my mind as being a fall book, even though it takes place over the course of a year. Here's the story. It's about a woman named Eustacia Vi who lives in the countryside and really laments the fact that she is living this rural life. She just wants to escape more than anything. And she learns that Clem Yobright, who lived there but 
move to Paris is returning. And so she sets it her mind to marrying him. She's she's a pretty vivacious person, I would say. And so she decides that she's going to marry him and and does. They uh, they do get married. But she thinks that this is going to be her key to get out of this small community called Egden Heath, where they live. However, he has very different dreams. He wants to become a teacher and they're marriage when they do get married starts out okay but then quickly devolves into this really fraught relationship because they have so many differences of opinion about what their life should look like and they have these other people that live in this town that she has somebody that she that used to be sort of her paramour who is still kind of like interested in her and there are all these miscommunications and assumptions that people make which lead to people being pretty much miserable in the story like if they just had some conversations or just shared what their expectations were it might not turn out the way it does Um, yes (laughs) yeah so I will say Thomas Hardy if you've ever read him he is not a particular happy cheery writer his stories tend to be a little bit bleak And his writing style can take a little bit of getting used to, like a lot of 19th century writers. It can be maybe a little bit overwrought might be the right word. I don't know. It's just it feels a little old fashioned, I guess, compared to what we're used to reading now. But I do think that if you bring a little patience to it, it is actually a really good story. And it's a story that keeps you interested in what's happening and like these different character relationship and what's going on with them. And again, I think that his descriptions of the heath where they live and and these fields and it just feels very fall-like to me. And so that is The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. You hated this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I read it at least 10 years ago. Okay. And so I know that sometimes I, you know, you develop as a reader. And so Mm -hmm. I'm and so I'm not sure how I'd feel about it now. I love reading classics. I mm-hmm. love, love, love reading classics. And so so it's not the language that, that overall that gets me, but I do find him very overwrought mm-hmm. and very, at least my memory of it, is that he really hammers home a point. Mm-hmm. And I also got really frustrated with the, you know, the kind of the hallmark of Thomas Hardy is right. that it's it's people who don't talk to each other and yeah. keep things from each other. And then yeah. that leads to destruction. And I normally love destruction. So <laughs> I think that I would enjoy that a little bit more, but I found it really frustrating, particularly in this book. So, oh, but I do agree that that I can totally see what you're talking about of the fall feeling where it's just has this, this kind of windswept feel to it. So I, I get that completely. Yeah, I just there, you know, I read this 20 plus years ago. And so there are just sort of impressions left in my mind versus a distinct, like detailed picture of the story. But right. The impressions are very much of like the fall and the wheat fields or whatever it is. I don't even know if it's wheat fields, but it just feels very like that yellowy, goldeny toned. Totally. Yeah. So that's that's what I and, and it's funny to me because I'm a generally pretty cheerful, optimistic person, but I love kind of a melancholy, bittersweet story. And I don't yeah. know why, but this is like, I love that kind of, I guess, bittersweet is the only way to say it. Like those kind of love stories where it's like, yeah. oh, if only. Although there is, I, if I remember correctly, there is like a happy ending for one of the couples in this book. But I think you're right. Yeah, I, I and I think that I enjoy it, but... it more in other 
Thomas Hardy books. Mm-hmm. This this one seemed aggressively bleak to me. But with something like like Tess of the Durbervilles, it feel I I enjoy kind of the bittersweetness mm-hmm. of it a little bit more than I yeah. did in this one. But. Yeah, I actually like Far from the Madding Crowd quite a lot. Oh, I read yeah. that not yes, too long yes, ago, yes. and I really liked that one. Yeah, that that one is is I haven't read that one, but I've seen the yeah. the yeah. Adaptation. Oh, you should read it. I think you would like it. Ooh, okay. Okay. All right. What's your next one? Um, so my my last book is Forgive Me. It's another mystery. <laughs> But when I think of fall books, this is always the first one that comes to my head, and I've read it several times, so I have to talk about it. It's called A Wicked Way to Burn by Margaret Miles, and I don't think probably most people will know this series. It's probably 20 years old at this point. It's a historical cozy, and it's set in... The first book is... It's in 1763, and... The main character is a young widow named Charlotte Willett, and she lives in a village called Bracebridge, which is outside of Boston. And she has a very quiet but intellectually stimulating life, mostly because she has a neighbor named Richard Longfellow, who is a gentleman farmer and a scientist. And I I kind of think of him as a Thomas Jefferson stand-in just by the, you know, kind of this this renaissance man, I guess, that they make him to be. So together they enjoy discussing politics and other topics. And they usually get together in the evening and just just have these these nice discussions together. So, so one autumn evening, they learn that something odd has happened. Basically, a stranger wearing a red cloak and a feathered hat was seen at the local inn. And he when he was there, he flashed a lot of money, gold coin style money, which is the the flashiest of all the money. And then he left. And then as he was walking down the road, he appeared to spontaneously combust and he leaves only ashes and his red cloak. So of course, this this is just this huge scandal in the village and the villagers focus on witchcraft as being this, the possible reason for all of this and they turn their suspicions to a french foreigner who's in town but charlotte thinks that something else is going on so with the help of richard and a magistrate from boston named edmund montague charlotte investigates the murder of the stranger and then there are other deaths that follow before the the mystery will be solved and i think this is a really interesting time period because it's a period of peace after the french and indian wars but before the american revolution but there's still a lot of unrest and tension that um, are going on in the colonies as they move toward independence. I actually, uh, that is one kind of uh, complaint I have about the book is that they have a lot of tongue in cheek references to events that you know will, will happen in the future, but uh, oh well. <laughs> so I think for me, the biggest reason that this is a fall book is because the cover is aggressively fall themed. It has pumpkins and rolling hills of orange trees and Wait, not not uh, orange trees, like autumnal trees, I should say. And um, there's a scarecrow with a jack-o'-lantern head that's on fire. And I just, I, I want to put this up as decoration when I'm, when it's fall in my apartment, because it's just such a fun cover. It always kind of reminds me of Sleepy Hollow and the Headless Horseman. And so it's, it just, it just screams fall for me. So it's unfortunately the, uh, series only has four books, but they each are centered on a season. So if you like reading seasonally like I do, this is a fun series to come back to again and again. And that is A Wicked Way to Burn by Margaret Miles. My last one is The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. I tried really hard to think of a better one than this, and I just couldn't. <laughs> I've only, so it feels like I've talked about this one recently because I just mentioned it last week, be, be, or on our last episode because Erin Morgenstern has a new book coming out this fall. But 
The last time I talked about this was episode, I looked it up, like 26 or 28. So it has been a little while since I talked about it. That's totally fair. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. So it's one of my favorite books of all time, like I said it last episode. It is all about the atmosphere in this book. I mean, there is just so much atmosphere. It is so fallish to me. It is about two wizards who are arch rivals, and they decide to have this competition. They each have... One has, I think it's his daughter, but it's like a ward of his that then he, you learn is his daughter, who is who has magical abilities. So the other wizard decides to go out and find a child that also has magical abilities, and they're going to pit the two of them against each other, which these two children do not know about. The, Celia and Marco are their names, and they have no idea that they're in this competition. They just know that they have this person in their life, uh, this wizard, either their father, kind of their guardian, who is teaching them how to do magic and sort of pushing them more and more to develop their magical skills. So the venue where the competition is taking place is a circus. It's a magical circus called the Cirque des Rêves, which means Circus of Dreams. And it appears out of nowhere, like without warning, it just is all of a sudden one night it shows up. And so it's set up near like a town or a village somewhere. So the villagers wake up or the townspeople wake up one morning and suddenly there's a circus there. It's all black and white. It's again, so atmospheric and it's magical. Like all these things that are sort of close to what would happen at a typical circus, but it's, it's all based on magic. So the, so it's all completely impossible things happening. So Celia and Marco keep trying to add on and build on the magic that's happening in this circus, but they're also finding themselves drawn to each other. And they're developing this relationship with each other that they don't know is really forbidden by these wizards that are trying to control them, which of course you can't control people, so, uh, so it's not working very well. The guardians keep trying to intercede in their relationship and, and, and put it back to just this magical competition and that doesn't work. And it is just such a a lush, descriptive, immersive novel. I have read it more than once and every time felt the same way. I feel like you are just in this world that she has created. It is somehow totally believable, even though it's a fantasy. It's like this magical world where it's all grounded in, in real things. You know, it's not, so this is the kind of fantasy I like. I've talked about this before, I think. It's not high fantasy where you have orcs and things like that, you know, like creations that don't exist in the world. These are people that you can picture and the descriptions of what's going on in the circus tents so is stuff you can imagine, but it's all got this magical sheen to it. So to me, it just feels like the perfect book for fall. The descriptions uh, are all about like the crisp night air because it's showing up in the evening. You can only go in the evening, like during the day it's shut down and then the circus comes alive at night. And so there's just something about that to me that feels very fall-like. You can only be there at night and there's like, again, the crisp air and yeah, that is The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. I wonder what that is about about nighttime. Because I agree. Like, I wonder what that is. I, I have no idea. I mean, I've been feeling it, like I said, just this week. All of a sudden, it's starting to get cooler yeah. in the mornings and the evenings. And that's fall to me when it's... It doesn't really matter what temperature it is during the day. But when it's like 55 or 60 at night, yeah. there's that just tiny bit of coldness. It's not. It's not so cold that... 
well, I would wear probably a winter coat when it's 60 degrees outside, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but you know, I don't know how to, it's not like you're running from your car into a restaurant because it's so cold outside. You're just like, it's, it's chilly. It's like a little chill to the air. So I don't know what that is. Yeah, I, 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 but like specifically with going out at night in that way, uh-huh. like like here's this, uh, maybe it's the fall festival yeah. uh, thing. For me, I, I think part of it is because the state fair in Arizona happens in the fall because oh. it's too hot to do it during the day. Yeah. And so to me, October is, is fair time. And yeah. so so I think that that's part of why I associate it with, with that like carnival-esque yeah. feeling but I don't think that's true for other people but, well, but definitely the fall festival is a big giant thing so. and talking about it I wonder if part of it is like football games outside oh yeah Friday nights and things like that 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 feels like fall yeah that's that would be point. it for me in Ohio my you know is that like being outside in the chilly air yeah on a weekend night Oh, this is this is the same the equivalent of a book that I never read because I was in grad school. So uh-huh. you you haven't read the Night Circus? I know, I know, I have. How it. Did, I did not know that. I mean, I'm sure I knew that at some point. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Oh no, I have man. a copy of it. Um, actually, my mom sent me a copy after she listened to the episode where you talked about oh, it, really? and I also said I've never oh, read it, and she mailed nice. it to me. So, oh, or, yeah, it was nice. cute. That was really nice. Yeah. Oh, I somehow had forgotten that. So you need I now I've probably built it up too much. I thought you had I thought you had read it. No, I think you've done a great job of building it up and I want to read it. <laughs> Even more I mean I already wanted to read it, but now I'm like uh, how what can I what can I strike from my schedule to read this? <laughs> Just to read the Night Circus. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you haven't read the Night Circus. You have so much I fun know. waiting for you. I'm so jealous. <laughs> All right. Okay, well we will come right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Uh, so I can't talk about what I'm actually reading because it's a Louise Penny book. So oh, okay. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, wouldn't it be fun for anyone mm-hmm. else? Mm-hmm. So I just finished reading Rosemary's Baby by oh. Ira Levin. Wow. And I really wish I had gone into this knowing nothing about it because I think it would have been an insane reveal. But it's a cultural classic, so it's kind of hard to avoid knowing what happens at the end. But I still really enjoyed it. So it's about a woman named Rosemary Woodhouse, who is a newlywed in New York City in the 60s. And she is married. Her husband is named Guy. And he's a struggling but but basically working actor. He He's done plays and commercials and he's just trying to make it big, basically. And they're looking for a place to live in New York. And so she's set on living in this old Gothic revival building called the Bramford. But it doesn't look like it's going to work out. But then at the last minute, they're able to get an apartment there. So she's tell- So Rosemary tells her old friend Hutch how thrilled she is. And he warns her that this building has a strange history with rumors of witchcraft and murder. But she ignores them. And eventually he gives way to her excitement. And he's really happy for her. So after they moved in, Rosemary meets a young woman named Terry who lives on her floor, and she's staying with a couple named the Castavets who took her in from the street. And Rosemary is really happy to have made a friend since Guy has gone so often for auditions. But soon after, she is horrified to find out that Terry has fallen from the Castavets' window and died, and the police are considering it a suicide, and it's it's very upsetting to everyone. So sort of in the aftermath of this, she and Guy reluctantly befriend the Castavets, and I say reluctantly because they're pretty obnoxious and boorish, but Guy seems to like them and they're really sweet and 
and kind and helpful to toward Rosemary. So it's hard for her to to stick to this annoyance that she initially has about them. They give her gifts and they offer her dinners and so so they're they're just very sweet toward her. So after one dinner, Rosemary has this awful dream where it involves having sex with a demon and she can't shake this terrible memory until she learns that she's pregnant. And that's been her greatest wish for her marriage. So she's she's completely over the moon about this. And the cast of Ets are, are also over the moon. They're extremely interested and invested in his pregnancy and they offer her all kinds of support including a referral to a famous obstetrician who uh, when rosemary rosemary meets him she uh, or he says that her due date is june 28th 1966 and if you think about that date you can basically see where this book is going I think it's really easy to see uh, when you read this why it's a horror classic it has i think like the best uh, horror it has this juxtaposition of the mundane and the innocent with the terrible and the the terrifying, and in this case, it's this really great air of domesticity. That was that was maybe kind of one of my favorite parts of the book that you get all these details of Rosemary's life as a homemaker, which are so different from now. And I'm really interested and kind of fascinated by mid-century New York City life. So this is just this just felt really fun for me to hear these these day-to-day details and i think that that the way that ira levin seamlessly integrates these clues of to what's really going on into these day-to-day details really makes this kind of notable and a step beyond uh, a lot of horror that you read because you get this increase this this increasing anxiety and fear on the part of rosemary and that that build up compared to to the details of her getting you know dinner on the table really make the reveal satisfying and I, I when I was thinking about this I feel like it creates a really great through line from this book to the psychological suspense trends that are that are so huge right now where it's this maybe not so, so much a focus on the the day-to-day but definitely this the most terrible things happen in the home so so I really have enjoyed reading this a lot I'm kind of debating on watching the movie but I think that the book is well worth everyone's time so if you need a scary book for for uh, October then this is one I would recommend and that is Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levin that sounds way too scary for me but it sounds very appropriate for this I don't know that it would be actually yeah it's it's kind of not until the very end that anything scary happens and even then I don't I mean I, I had zero problems reading this oh, as, right. so so it's it's really just the end that is horrifying mm-hmm. I guess there are things around the sex scene that are that are kind of upsetting but it's more to do with her relationship with her husband mm. so it's it's less like scary and more upsetting okay if that makes sense so sure. so yeah I I think you could totally handle it all right. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's, I don't know. <laughs> I think it read more as like you were saying uh, a couple episodes ago about how horror is not exactly what right. you would thought it was. And yeah. I think this falls more into what you like about horror okay. than it does anything terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, we talk at work about the dread gore spectrum where it's yeah. like I'm way more like if it's dread, I'm fine with that. But the 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 more it goes towards that gore end of the spectrum, I am not into that. I don't like gross. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, I don't like that. This this I don't think is on the, it, it's definitely on the dread side of things. Okay. 
What I was reading this week was Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin, which was so good. I actually just finished it so I can talk about the whole thing. I've been dying to read this. It's really good. I really liked it. So sometimes when we're talking about what we're reading, I'm mid-book. I think last time I was mid-book or the, I don't remember. So I can't speak to, you know, if it sticks the landing, but this one definitely did. So it is a modern Muslim version of Pride and Prejudice set in Toronto. And Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books of all time. I think I've shared that before. So I do read quite a few of the adaptations and there are many, many to be had, but I have to say, I don't always love them. And sometimes it's because they almost too closely retell the story so it doesn't feel like there's any sort of surprise to it and I did not feel that way about this book at all so it is about a woman named Aisha she is an independent woman she writes poetry she is a teacher she really has no interest in getting married for any reason other than love and in her community it is very common to have an arranged marriage but she is not interested in that she feels like She wants, if she meets somebody, great, but otherwise she is fine being on her own and she doesn't want to take part in kind of the rituals that go along with having an arranged marriage. And then you have Khalid, who is also a Muslim, but he's a very, he's like a fundamentalist Muslim. So he lets his beard grow. He doesn't cut his beard. He wears long robes and is very kind of stringent about his views, his, his religious views. So, and he believes that his mother will make a good match for him and will find him the perfect woman to marry when it is time to get married. And they're both in their late 20s or early 30s. She's in her late 20s. I think he might be slightly older. But so it's about time for them to be considering marriage. And so he is waiting for his mom to find this perfect person for him. And then they meet and they don't hit it off right away. They they make some assumptions about each other um, and basically see the other one and assume a lot that their identity wouldn't mesh with the person that they are. Aisha thinks Khalid is too strict of a Muslim for her, and he thinks that she is a little bit too independent for him, and so they just sort of clash. He is also very socially awkward, so sometimes he is blunt and says what he is thinking in a way that doesn't have a whole lot of social finesse. So even though he's not really saying anything untrue it comes across as kind of rude which as if you've read Pride and Prejudice you know is also a hallmark of Darcy he says some things that are are a bit blunt um so they keep running into each other and they have kind of this little situation where there's a mistaken identity thing and he actually thinks she's her cousin Uh, but they're working together on a fundraiser for the mosque that they both attend and they realize as the more time they're spending together that they really actually enjoy each other's company once they're around each other a little bit more it makes them question what their what their preconceived notions were but at the same time they're sort of sticking to the idea like yeah, this person's more interesting than I thought, or maybe can be funnier than I at first realized, but they don't really fit into my life plan. Like Khalid still thinks he's going to have this arranged marriage and Aisha still thinks that she's going to find somebody out in the world. So if you've read Pride and Prejudice, you kind of know how this goes, but um, it still feels really fresh and new. There are lots of nods to the original story and that main romance portion of it is very true to the original, but the side characters do not always follow the same path. Again, they're like nods to the original story where certain things happen and you're like, oh, okay, that's like what what 
else happens in Pride and Prejudice, but it's not so strictly adhering to the original story that you feel like, well, this is just a retread of of the original. There are lots of descriptions of food that are amazing and there are some interesting, to me, I'm not as familiar with the Muslim culture, so there are some interesting elements in the story that that illuminated my viewpoint about Muslim culture. And there are also some racism prejudice storylines that go into it. Khalid's Khalid has a new boss at the start of the story, and she is basically out to get him because she's making all these assumptions about what it means to be a Muslim. And so I just found it really entertaining and enjoyable. It was, again, like this great, great update to a classic story that felt very modern, felt very true to the characters. It wasn't like she was trying to put on the structure of Pride and Prejudice onto a story that it wasn't really fitting. Like it just felt like it fit really well. So that is Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin. That sounds awesome, as I knew it would be from um, everything I read about it. But it, I, I love I love that Pride and Prejudice can just be re, retold mm-hmm. all the time. And that now it's, I mean, there's so many retellings out there and a lot of them are basically the same thing. Yeah. But now, now because there's so much more of a push for diversity in publishing, mm-hmm. you're getting a fresh take on it mm-hmm. and it's that's so fascinating to me yeah it sounds like it's really great setup for for the basic structure of the of the story yeah what i thought was interesting about this one is pride and prejudice if you're reading it as like a current day person who grew up in america you most likely feel that that's a little bit out of date with the idea that the family has five daughters and their biggest concern is how to get them married off because that was securing their future but in this case it does feel very current but it's also in a culture that believes in arranged marriage so that whole idea of finding a a mate for your child comes right back into play because it's not it's not the idea that you go out and find your own spouse it's that your parents are setting that up so I thought that that worked really really well and like I said I have I have read a fair number of adaptations and some work better than others for me and this one just really hit the mark like I really felt like it did again it felt original while still feeling very um Maybe taking it in a new direction. Yeah, or? it felt well. It felt like it was respectful of the of the of Pride and Prejudice, but felt yeah. original. I guess is yeah, totally. That. Yeah. So, all right, let's go back and list off all the books we talked about today. You can go first, Anne. Okay, I talked about Still Life by Louise Penny, The Historian by Elizabeth Costova, A Wicked Way to Burn by Margaret Miles, and what I'm reading this week is Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levin. And I talked about The Broken Girls by Simone St. James, The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy, The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern, and what I'm reading this week is Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com, find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and all of our episodes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading!